You're listening to episode 81 of GameSpot After Dark. This week, Jared Petty, formerly IGN, current podcaster, joins us to talk about the Nintendo Direct. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of GameSpot After Dark. I'm your host, Jake Decker, and joining me this week is Callie Plaguey. Hello. Jean-Luc Seipke. Hi. And former IGN editor, current podcaster extraordinaire, Jared Petty. Glad to be here. Thank you all for having me. We're so glad you're here as well. It just is this warm and fuzzy feeling inside. I enjoy the show. So I'm like, yay, I get to be here. Plus, I'm kind of a narcissist. So I'm just like, yay, validation. You know, it's great. <laughs> I would uh, never in a million years uh, refer to you as a narcissist. I, I would. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't, as doesn't sound like Jared. <laughs> the nicest man in the entire world, Jared Petty. <laughs> I, I really do like crave like uh, appreciation. Though. I'm like, I'm terribly insecure. So it's like, oh, people like me. Yay. Like, that, <laughs> which is not healthy. And my therapist. Uh, that's a mood though. It's <laughs> <laughs> a mood. Totally. That's if there was ever a time for insecurity, now's the time but right now we're here thank you all for having me anyway thank you for joining so normally we start this show off with what we've been playing but since you're a guest and you have been on GameSpot after dark before we start with the chris from dayton ohio segment Chris. that's a little jingle we've got <laughs> we we actually have i've explained this so many times but the community actually made us a song but i like hearing the host still do that song especially when like lucy and tamor do it because they never actually do it in sync and it sounds funny when i <laughs> line it up but you know chris but anyway the chris from dayton ohio segment is basically just an opportunity for you to introduce yourself to our audience uh tell them things about yourself uh about your history with gaming, your experience with the industry, wh whatever you'd like to tell us, honestly. I think the big things, though, are some of your favorite genres and some of your favorite games. Excellent. Well, thank you for asking. I love talking about myself. Yeah, I'm old uh, and I was lucky enough to be around for things like the golden age of arcades and cool stuff like that. So I fell in love with video games when I was like two uh, when I was three, my dad got me an Atari 2600. When I was five, a home computer. And so I just took off playing games. And it's I've kind of been a grotesque man-child ever since. Um, however, this was never meant to be a career. I work in the games industry, but I, I didn't even start in the games industry until I was in my 30s. Uh, it, this was It was a hobby. It's something I love. It was for fun. And then I started writing for fun, got really lucky, and, and landed a job at IGN after a few years. And now, many, many cycles later, I'm still doing game stuff right now. I do a thing called the Top 100 Games Podcast, which you can find at all your podcast services, where we bring guests on. Jake's been on there. Callie's been on there. We're going to have to have John Luke now. Um, but people come on and talk about their favorite games of all time. It's it's just a, kind of a passion project thing, and it's a lot of fun. Anyway, favorite genres, favorite games, at all, et cetera. Um, I really am an eclectic game player. I like most kinds of video games, um, although I, I've never really been able to wrap my head around racing games, and Pokemon's a weird blind spot. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. Uh, Genre-wise, I, I probably go to two extremes. One really simple 2D platforming type stuff I really enjoy, or, or Metroidvania, and then on the other side, crazy deep RPGs, uh, things like Ang Band or, or anything that's 150 hours long and uh, unnecessarily frustrating or Dwarf Fortress or stuff like that. So that, that's kind of the, the, the ends I go on. 
And favorite video game of all time, Sid Meier's Pirates, particularly the rare uh, port for the NES in 1990, which is the definitive version of that game. Uh, the most important and best sandbox game ever made. Uh, a few other favorites are things like Mario 3. Uh, I, but it's not just old game stuff. Uh, RDR2 would be one of my all-time favorites, uh, for example. I, I absolutely adore that game. I think we're kind of living in a golden age of video gaming right now, and it seems every year brings us new classics. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a short short thing. Does that cover, cover the bases? Or? I'd say uh, so. I do want to give a yeah. shout-out, though. You did mention it, but to your uh, Top 100 Games podcast, because I think it is such a great idea. And you get so many unique and diverse voices on that podcast just to talk about some of their favorite games. And I think it's just, it's really cool how sort of freeform it is. You don't really have like, these are the games we need to talk about. It's just, hey, what game is one of your favorites and what do you think fits here? I talked about Mass Effect. Callie, you did Stardew Valley, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we've had folks on. It is fun because it, people get to come on and just talk about the games they're passionate about. These just friends, industry experts, people I like. I, you know, a, a very different, very, very, very different guests every week, and that's been part of the fun of it. I we joke that it's the definitive top 100 games list of all time. It is, of course, not that. What it is is really unique. Unlike a curated list, you know, I used to be at IGN. We'd have to work together to build these lists. Y'all, y'all work at Gamespot. You create curated lists. There's a lot of argument. There's a lot of push and pull and, and critical perspective. When you just bring a hundred different people on to talk about games they love and don't let them repeat, that's the only like rule, you get a very different kind of list. I think it's less critically strong, but in a weird way, more fun. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've had a really good time with it. I I, I, I didn't know how this was going to work out when I started. Uh, you know, it, I kind of half-ass everything I do. So there, there's that end of it, but that's not that the best That is not part. true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's been fun. I I just want to give a shout out to Red Dead Redemption 2, GameSpot's Game of the Year 2018. Good pick, Jared. Uh, well and, chosen, GameSpot. Uh, one thing uh, that I want to tell our listeners about you, Jared, is uh, my first memory of my first time meeting you. You had just started at IGN and I was still a freelancer for IGN and I was in the office uh, to pick up, I think, a debug console back in the days where they would give you a whole PS3 uh, to review a game on. And you walked right up to where I was and you said, hi, I'm Jared. Are you new? And I felt so welcomed and I was like, I wish I'm just here picking up a thing. And uh, I just never forgot that because you were the only person who really took the time to welcome me that day. So uh, then it was such a delight to eventually be able to work alongside you there. Yeah, you were you were hired only a few months after that, right, Kelly? It was it wasn't that much longer after, was it? Um, uh, I don't, maybe I don't, I'm wrong. I don't <laughs> time is weird but yeah it was it really meant a lot to me at the time and I think that says a lot about who you are so that's what I want people to know about you when you're being so self-deprecating you're very kind I really and I I enjoyed working with you there I I miss that I miss it a lot Mm -hmm. yeah there you were a fun human being to share an (laughs) office with let me put it that way uh, yeah, that you could interpret that lots of ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, I meant it in the best possible. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I love the reviews work you're doing now. Uh, I can tell you oh, that. I you. enjoy reading it, I enjoy watching it. Uh, you do amazing work. Um, just you're among just anyway, you're great at what you do, and that's <laughs> we love friendship here at GameSpot After Dark. <laughs> <laughs> 
The GameSpot Friendship Podcast. <laughs> yeah, but see, she, Callie's given the good account where I'm like, hey, Callie, you're the... But she's not mentioning the part where I forgot who Jake was the first, like, three times I met him, which I'm sure he does remember. Um, I kept meeting Jake and forgetting who he was, uh, which was just horrible in every possible way. So that happened, too. Please don't paint me with too sweet a brush, Callie. That other part absolutely happened. And and, and as for Jean-Luc, I haven't decided what to... I'm either going to really remember him and be nice to him or completely forget him every time. I don't know what you... <laughs> Those are the two Jareds you get. Hopefully <laughs> my name helps. I feel like I have a unique enough name that people at least like remember that. They're like, yeah. oh, John, John Luke, right. Unique name. Yeah, like the Star Trek man. Yeah. We also, we also met each other at bars at like in, in the evening and everyone was drinking and whatnot. It wasn't an hour and a half long podcast where we got to talk about games. <laughs> there is that part too. You're right about that. <laughs> But anyway, this is a video game podcast, and we should talk about video games at least a little bit. So why don't we get to what we've been playing this week? Callie, do you want to start off? Sure. My, you know, I'm kind of a broken record at this point. I'm still playing uh, Persona 5 Royal, getting pretty far along, kind of like getting to the, the actual like new Royal stuff. So I'm pretty excited about that. I love the game so much. Uh, I, I wish that older woman wouldn't hit on you. But other than that, definitely 10 out of 10, GameSpot.com. And then uh, I am always playing Animal Crossing, but an interesting thing that I've been doing is I started, I mentioned this, I think last time I was on, I started an Animal Crossing Instagram account and I I have uncovered an entire world and it has been very fun. And this new thing that I'm trying is uh, there's a user on the, on Instagram, on I was gonna say on Animal Crossing Instagram, it's not a different app or anything, um, but they uh, have uh, biweekly decorating like design challenges. So it'll just be like a prompt and like, oh, here's a like the a color you have to use, items you can't use, an item you have to use uh, based on this theme. And so I entered for the first time for uh, the university common room theme. And it's been a while since I was in one of those. So I tried my best. <laughs> it looks very good. And people should follow your Inky Crossing Animal Crossing account. <laughs> Thank you. And shout out to Jake who did the uh, editing on the photo. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that there's like a whole Animal Crossing photo community that brings in their photos to Lightroom influencers sell Lightroom presets you that you can get it use, to raw, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like you can't even get raw footage off your switch as is. So or raw screenshots. So I, I, I don't know. It, it was, it, it's tough to work with, but I find it so interesting that there are influencers who make Lightroom yeah. presets and I'm sell them because someone... that is something I see like, I don't know, Peter McKinnon and other like photography YouTubers, they're always trying to push. And it's like, oh yeah, I guess it makes sense for them to have that on Animal Crossing too. I'm, I'm picturing someone like bringing, like they're capturing it on like a Shogun, like Inferno, so they, they can get it like the most raw, like yeah. pure <laughs> quality they can get. Just the, the, the best. It, they're like $1,200 Animal Crossing screenshot setup. <laughs> <laughs> I, it actually is pretty intense though, because most of like the big name uh, Animal Crossing uh, People back in the day, we would call that a, a big name fan or a BNF, but I don't think anybody uses that anymore. But uh, they will always source what preset they used, and it'll be like Lightroom preset by at, and then like it'll be like 
Animal Crossing 202. You know, like somebody's like Animal Crossing username and it's all like it's this community of people. <laughs> yeah, who who will be like, oh, this is my uh preset for cafes specifically. It's called Mocha Latte and, <laughs> and it costs five dollars. And I love it. I'm so here for it, but I get them for free because Jake has Lightroom. <laughs> Well, so what are the, the what are the what are the essential <laughs> yeah, no. elements of a great Animal Crossing screenshot? What goes in? I mean, what is our subject matter? What do we need to make sure is captured? What ambiance need uh, is is absolutely essential to a perfect Animal Crossing screenshot? That is a good question. I mean, that is the eternal question, right? We're always chasing that white white whale here on the Animal Crossing Instagram uh, community. But um, I, I notice a lot of. Uh, a lot of people editing specifically the saturation and mm. the contrast because uh, Animal Crossing as a game is pretty uh, colorful in a more cartoony way. So a lot of the like really artsy designs, like people, like one of the challenges a while back was like European restaurant, like make a European restaurant room. And a lot of those are like really like dark mood lighting, completely changes the color palette. Um, so that's a big part of the editing is people really want to either up the, the saturation of certain colors or like make the color palette more muted. And then, um, there's a couple different like predominant design themes. So a really big one, which I mostly see on Twitter now is like cottage core. And it's just like a lot of like plants and, uh, like cottagey items strewn around an island. And then another big one right now is like Japanese rural um, or like Japanese city. So um, people will do like really like trash everywhere, like bit like bright lights, um, okay. dirt roads, like people will make onsen outside and like do all this um, stuff. So my island theme is rural but I'm going for like a driving through the middle of nowhere, California kind of vibe orchards lots of trash still <laughs> like <laughs> uh like chain link fences um bus stop kind of stuff um but i i guess i have a little bit of japanese influence in there because i got this like crazy fish market thing going on right now but um yeah so depending on the aesthetic you're going for people will do different things a lot of people will like there's like a hack you can do for the switch it's like it invalidates your warranty to do it. So I wouldn't advocate for doing it. And I haven't done it myself, but it gives you full control of the camera. So some people cr take these like crazy impossible screenshots by hacking into the switch camera. Wow. It's nuts. It's a whole, it's a whole world. Can you Jeez. make an animal crossing screenshots that look like a tool video? Like, I mean, that, that, that's really what I'm hoping for. If you try very hard, maybe. <laughs> Or maybe like Moody Snyder cut promo images, like oh one thousand percent. Oh yeah, there was some oh, yeah. like making movie trailers in Animal Crossing, like very shortly after it came out. I want someone to recreate that Snyder cut trailer that they just put out last week in All Animal, in Animal Crossing. Crossing. It's like we live in a society, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom, Tom Tom Nook is Stefan Wolf. Just <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jean-Luc, what have you been up to? Uh, I've been checking out Bowser's Fury, which is the uh, expansion standalone add-on thing that they 
included with the remaster of uh, Super Mario 3D World. It's a delight. It is maybe my favorite game of the year, even though it's like a weird add-on thing. It's so good. It's For those who don't know, it's basically... They, they're using like the assets of 3D World, but unlike 3D World, which is sort of like inspired by like 2D Mario, but it's in 3D and has a fixed camera. This is like full on like Mario Odyssey style, like proper 3D Mario. So, um, and then it like is using like Mario uh, sunshine like elements, like you're picking up shines in this one, but everything's cat themed. So they're all like cat shines and every enemy is is like a cat. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. Like there's like the seagulls a cat and the bushes are cats and the the grass is literally cat fur. So it's all cat themed. It's wonderful. And it's just, it's so darn good. Like if you, like, like it, uh, man, I don't even know how to say it. Like it, it's just, they've, you get this like perfect bite size, like four to five hour, like Mario 3D experience that is just like, I wasn't expecting to get, you know? Cause it's like Mario Odyssey came out, I think it was 2017. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm not getting a new 3D Mario for like, 10 years and nintendo's like hey we just threw in this like mini 3d mario adventure into this game and it's it's so so well done and they're like all the puzzles are they're just like experimenting with like new concepts and ideas um something that makes it really unique is it's all one giant map so instead of uh like you know traveling to like a different location or like kind of going back to like an overworld instead it's like you just hop on, I don't know what he's called. He's that little dinosaur that you- Plessy. Plessy. Plessy, yes. So you hop on Plessy and then you just like ride over in the water to like the next island. And then it's like, okay, you're in the next level. And then like that level has like five different shrines that you can go collect and you're kind of bouncing back and forth between them. It's just like classic, like peak Nintendo, like goodness that just like came out of nowhere. Like I really wasn't expecting it. And I like beat the thing in like a couple hours. Like I just marathoned through it because I was having such a good time with it. It's, if you like 3D Mario, I like highly recommend it. I really wish they, they, so I get why they maybe didn't want to release it as like a separate thing because it, it is sort of a short experience and maybe they, they didn't want to set people's expectations or, or want to maybe didn't feel comfortable selling it as its own thing, but like it's, I wouldn't want to say, I don't know. It's like, I almost want to be like, it's worth getting the whole thing just to, just to play that. Like a 3D, 3D world is also fantastic. So if you haven't played that, I do highly recommend it. But even like, if you've played 3D world and you are like, Oh, I don't know about playing it again. I'm like, Hey, the Bowser's Fury really really good mario game so um i i had I no idea it was it. like a i thought it was just extra levels for mario 3d world that's what i thought i yeah, figured I that's what it was until our video review i watched it and and then i realized oh no this is a separate game which is interesting yeah it's, it's yeah. basically a whole new thing is it the odyssey engine and the odyssey team do we know like it, it, it when i saw the previews it looked so much like odyssey the way that it was the characters were moving around i wondered if, if we knew anything about that. i was trying to figure that out because i think like the the models are more like all the characters and the art assets feel like they're from 3d world like mario yeah. is like a little more simplistic he doesn't have like the the crazy like detail on his mustache the way he does in, in like odyssey but then you open up like the map and like the map design and like the little like icons and UI look like straight out of Odyssey. And so it's like, there's some weird 
fusion of the two going on. Um, yeah, our our reviewer team though. I think it's maybe the the same like development team that made Odyssey doing uh, Fury. Yeah, our our reviewer had the same question. He was like, "I it feels like the Odyssey engine, but we weren't sure." But uh, regardless, I think Nintendo really said Catboy Renaissance and then made this game. <laughs> They called that because Catboys are <laughs> everywhere on the internet right now, baby. <laughs> yeah, I've got my copy already, but it's it's on my backlog because there's a few other things I'm working through right now. I, I really can't wait to play it. Odyssey is one of my all-time favorite video games. And mm -hmm. so the opportunity to play something that, that's got that heart and soul beating in it, uh, plus, I mean, 3D World's just an amazing game anyway, but... When I saw the preview, I got really excited because I was like, was this was this DLC for Odyssey that was cut? And I was like, no, maybe somebody went, well, we could sell it as DLC or build this as DLC, or we could attach it to a Wii U product, give people extra value, and there's probably a chance it's going to get into more hands that way. I, who knows what, what internal discussions went on there? I, I've been waiting for an Odyssey 2 or Odyssey DLC announcement for a long time that's actually level related, but I'm wondering if COVID maybe got in the way of that and this was a good plan to get around that. I don't know. I'm just happy to hear, Jean-Luc, that, that it's more good open world 3D Mario because the people at Nintendo building those games right now understand how to build those levels like nobody I've ever seen in video games. I, I, I'm mm -hmm. blown away by how consistently good the quality of level design was throughout Odyssey. So I, I really can't wait to play this. Yeah, 100%. And it, it feels just like, like it feels like it's a precursor to like an even better Mario game in the future. Like they, like, like it's, it's good. Like they, everything in it, I think it's perfect. But on top of that, you look at like what they're doing with like the way it's like one seamless open world. And it's like, they're, they're messing with something that like, I feel like we could see a future Mario game where it's like, you know, open world style Mario where there is no, you know, like loading between different areas. And it's just one continuous map that you go from area to area. Like I'm super excited to see what that team does next after this. It's so A good. super Mario world, you say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be, or they'd call it the new suit. They call it new super oh, Mario no. world. That's yeah. probably what they do. Yeah. Oh, there no. you go. That's super Mario world. <laughs> Mm. Nailed it. Uh, and then very briefly, I'll touch on the other thing I was playing, which is Destiny 2. This is my Destiny 2 minute to talk about <laughs> Destiny 2 because I still play that game. Um, they just put out a brand new uh, mission uh, called uh, Presage. I think that's how you say mm -hmm. that. And it's maybe my favorite Thing that they've put in that game so far it's so good it's i've heard it was really good it's really really good so uh, uh to set it up D destiny has what they call like secret missions uh which comes from the fact that they one time they just like put this mission in the game didn't tell anyone and people found it this one not so much like it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of easier to find it and people figured it out right away because they knew it was coming but essentially it's like these sort of more experimental missions where where they feel more like I guess like a single player mission where you're kind of given this freedom to explore around and and they kind of mix in um like puzzle solving and and platforming with combat encounters um and so this mission you are boarding a derelict ship 
that you need to like investigate because there's like a guardian who went missing. And it's got this fantastic atmosphere where it feels like alien and like dead space vibes where you're going through these like tunnels, like you're going through like the vents and you're, the sound design is like fantastic where you're hearing like the scratching and clawing and you know, there's like this horrible monster that you can't, you don't know what it is. And then you're discovering like dead bodies and, and like this really like weird, like alien fungus that you've never seen in the game before. And it's, it's so it's, there's like this air of like mystery about it that um, is just like a level of atmosphere that I feel like Destiny has a hard time nailing because it's a live service. Like you're kind of meant to go through and just like repeatedly do it. And you can play this mission with with friends, but if you are to play it, I highly recommend playing it single player. Like I just had the headphones on and I was just like sucked in. It it reminded me of like Bungie at its best during the Halo franchise. Like like the, just the level of like atmosphere and level design, the combat encounters. There is a combat encounter because it's a ship. There's a combat encounter where you go to a hangar and that hangar looks straight up like the hangar from uh, Halo 2. Uh, at the beginning of that game like they're they're just like pulling out all the stops of like all the tricks they've learned and in, in, in how they've been making games and it it feels like this is it's like that's the that's more of what I want out of this game like I, I like I like Destiny quite a bit I like kind of what it is and I like um, its social aspects but like this to me is like maybe like the one of the best like pure it, it feels very old school in how you're like you're solving puzzles and they introduce like a mechanic and then you have to like okay I use this mechanic to to get through these doors and then they kind of slowly ramp that up and it, it kind of has like a half-life quality to it where you're like okay now I need to platform over here and then incorporate that with the puzzle mechanic it's just so good it's like oh wow this is what I want I want more of this granted I bet that took a really long time to make so I don't know how much of that you're going to get in the future, but I think it is fantastic. It, it's, I don't know if I'd say like everyone hop back into destiny because if you know, if you, if you left destiny for whatever reason, like it's still very much that game, but it's, it's worth, I think it, if, if you're somebody who like really likes like uh, like a traditional, like bungee style, like single player, like experience uh, it's worth checking out. Can I, like, if I reinstalled Destiny after this and played it, would I be able to play it or would I have to grind, like, 600 light levels in order uh, to play it? You wouldn't have to grind 600 light levels. You would have to grind a little bit, I think. Okay, yeah. Um, you also do need to own the current season pass, um, season 13, to play it. So there's a little bit of a barrier to entry, unfortunately, which I do think is a shame. They should just let people play that level. <laughs> <laughs> just just for free to be like this is what we can do break it out on do. its own <laughs> i i want to while we're on the topic of destiny i'm going to go to the destiny names twitter account because i saw one today yeah, this one really good that was really good and i just want to share it with everyone here it was drifter's little pog champ <laughs> uh so that's still alive and well i think i'm still weird vex but okay uh in destiny but man it's a bummer that it's hard to get into because that sounds incredible like as you know um hearing the music from halo makes me cry i don't understand fully why that happens but it does and 
to hear that it reminds you so much of like Halo, like the highlights, like at its at Bungie's peak. Oh, that makes me want to re-download this game yeah. so bad. It's got like flood vibes with like the horror stuff, uh. and then the combat's got like you know like reminded me of fighting the elites. The music you mentioned, music. The music's really good. It's just like right, Bungie can make really damn good like shooters. Like they know how to make that stuff, and that game's kind of got such a the community's been sort of in uproar over that game recently for it's got some baggage it's got some baggage and the community's <laughs> kind of had enough recently um that i won't get into but everyone is like oh this is very good so like props to bungie like they they still know how to make some some damn good video games jared what have you been playing you know, I've been bouncing around between a couple of things. I mentioned a, a backlog earlier and, and not getting to Bowser's Fury yet, but uh, that's because I've been distracted by a couple of things. First, uh, for some reason, some wonderful human being took uh, four very good old video games I love that haven't been over reissued. You know, when it, some it's, it's weird how reissuing classic games works. Some of them we get 30 times, uh, say any Nintendo first party game practically. And then others we never get. Uh, and this is one of the later ones. There are These four games um, are, are from a series called Turrican, which isn't going to mean a lot to, I think, most Americans, but was a huge deal in the C64 Amiga scene and in Britain in particular. I, I kind of wish Lucy were here for that one uh, because she, she would almost certainly have heard of Turrican. Has anybody ever played a Turrican game? Oh, I have, yeah, we long time hear, ago. We here at GameSpot After Dark have heard of that because of a little video called Update Day. Our audience <laughs> knows all about that. And that is featured in an excellent song. If you haven't watched it, Jared, I highly recommend it. I think I've completely <laughs> missed this, and I'm sad about it. Okay, well, I've been playing Turrican again, and particularly Turrican 2, which of the four is, is the best one. It's based on the Amiga port. It's it's a straight emulation, near as I can tell, but they've done wonderful things. Like One of the problems with the Amiga is it had a one-button joystick, um, which if you oh. were really, 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 really lucky, you could upgrade to a two-button through arcane and frustrating means, but most people were forced to play with one button in the shooter. Turrican 2 short version is kind of Metroid meets Contra. Uh, it's like got the shooty feel of Contra with lots of weapons and it's really fast and colorful with some of the exploring stuff for Metroid. And they fit together really well. I've been playing Turrican 2. It's even better than I remember. And with a modern controller, it's a delight. So uh, this packet, all four Turrican games are good that are in the packet. Uh, two is is the definitive one. You got to play. Uh, it's 30 bucks, I think, right now. I bought mine on PS5. Can't recommend it enough for people who want to play an absolutely superb, like, side-scrolling shooter that they haven't played before. Uh, and and the, the one that one of the really best in the business. And at first you're going to be like, what's the deal? Once you start figuring out how all the weapons work, the fact that you can turn into a Samus bulb chainsaw blade forever and bounce around levels like Sonic mowing things down. <laughs> it, it's it's great. It's a really wonderful game. So that's a quick mention. Um, I So recently I went back to Western North Carolina where I grew up and I'm going to be here for a while, kind of uh, hiding from, from COVID. I figured if I was going to be in isolation, I would do it in a beautiful place where I could take walks up forest mountainsides and stuff. So I, I, we're actually expecting an ice storm tonight. So hopefully the power doesn't go off during this, but um, that got me, I've been spending a lot of time in tranquility. I'm literally living on a farm right now and I pulled breath of the wild back out. 
I'm like, uh, real world tranquility is not enough. And I did, I did it, y'all. I took that single save file, that one save file, and I erased it and started over. Uh, I and it was totally the right call because rediscovering <laughs> that game from the bottom. People talk about how well it set a, it set a good precedent, but it's kind of an empty world and. The emptiness is the point. That mm -hmm. game is Zelda mm -hmm. Minecraft. It is a tranquil trip through a big empty place with no noise. And I love it. And it's even better than I remember. I'm going to stop talking for a second so other people can talk <laughs> about how great Zelda is. And if anybody disagrees, then I'm going to jar up off the call. <laughs> well, I, I think with Breath of the Wild, how you mentioned how it's kind of supposed to be empty or it's supposed to feel empty and open a little bit and i i love that as well especially coming off like so many ubisoft games even, even something like cyberpunk where the, your map is just dotted with all these things it's like here go do this go do that go do this go do that and you turn on breath of the wild or even red dead to a lesser extent and it's just like oh no the world itself is what's fun to explore. I'm not exploring the world mm -hmm. because I'm going to a point. I'm exploring the world because I want to explore it. It's just that natural sense of exploration, which is, which many people have talked about at length about how great it is, but I, I still, it's still definitely the highlight of that game for me. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up Cyberpunk as just the complete opposite because oh. I think the criticism that Breath of the Wild's world is empty is just, well, it's not specific enough. And if I were, if if you submitted something to me, I would probably ask you some questions to help you tease out the real root of your issue, uh, because I don't think more content means more better. I think that uh, you know cyberpunk really is is the perfect example of how superfluous unnecessary activities dotting the world that have nothing to do with your character or your mission or anything um, can detract from the experience and can overwhelm. Um, and I think, you know, Breath of the Wild, like the world doesn't feel empty to me in the sense of that critique because I was always just like one more, I'll just go one one more like to the next thing and then like four hours later you're still playing because <laughs> you can just follow those those curiosity threads as far as you want to take them um like god what a what a pitch perfect example of how to make an open world that feels organic and allows you to actually use your creativity to explore instead of using just the prescribed tools given to you yeah I, to go off what you said about like cyberpunk comparison like that that's a game that has great stuff in it, but like the world does such a terrible job leading you to it's good stuff. Like there were, I beat it recently. And like, there were, there were a couple quests that like I'd heard people talk about that I like wanted to do, but like, I just had never come across it. And I had to like, look up a guide for it. And it's because that mm -hmm. game just like, doesn't know how to like lead you to that stuff. Where like, you know, breath of the wild. It's like, it has all these little like perfect landmarks that you see that you're like, that looks interesting and I'm going to go there and I bet that has something cool in it. And sure enough, it's something awesome there. Like they, they know how to design that. I think there's a term for it. It's like weenies or something. There's yeah, they're called weenies. Weenies, yeah. Yeah, it comes <laughs> from theme parks. Uh, theme parks <laughs> are built with these visual cues to draw crowds certain directions. They call the visual cues weenies. Yeah. Weenie Hut Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> 
Yeah, as somebody mentioned uh, Red Dead 2 earlier, and I think Red Dead 2 and Breath of the Wild have several things in common, but one of the most prominent is that in Red Dead 2, the West is a major character in that story. Arthur's a major character, you know, Dutch is a major character, and the world is a character in Red Dead 2, absolutely. Uh, in Breath of the Wild, just as much, maybe even more so, Hyrule is the main character of that game. Uh, that's who and what you're exploring. And that's what I love. Also, I had forgotten again, how much that game is a bunch of Zelda fanboys that also were really into Minecraft and portal. Like <laughs> that, that, that is who made that game. Zelda <laughs> fanboys that love Minecraft and portal. And I am all about that uh, because that, that down to like the blue and orange puzzle colors in, in <laughs> the temple. So mm. I'd forgotten all that. Just the very, or the piano music and the empty overworld. It, it, it's, it's so marvelously referential in the gentlest possible way. And then uh, finally this week, uh, and I just want to evangelize this one real quick. Um, I have been playing Celeste 2, which I'm not making up. That's real. Um, huh? <laughs> okay. So it's called Celeste Classic 2, Lonnie's Trek. Um do y'all know that Celeste began life as a Pico 8 game, the original Celeste? Mm. Uh, uh, John Luke's not. not his hair. Okay. <laughs> y'all know Pico 8? John, John Luke knows Pico 8, it sounds like. Uh, I don't. John, John Luke's the resident knowing about stuff like that person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know okay. really what I'm saying there, but. Okay. So Pico 8 is a fake video game console. Uh, it is a standard for game design that simulates a video game console that never existed. It has a fixed resolution, a limited color palette, a limited number of sound channels, and a memory limit on how big a game can be, just like an old like NES or Game Boy would have had. Uh, and it uses standard programming languages and standard tools. And anybody that's willing to spend the time and learn the scripting can make a Pico 8 game. Now, whether they can make a good one, that's a whole other can of worms. Pico 8 games are eminently portable. You can put them into HTML5, for example, so you can play it on your phone or in a web browser. Celeste started life as a Pico 8 game about a girl bouncing around a cave. Uh, and some of the original puzzle elements that make it into the story-driven Celeste come from that Pico 8 game. The team built on that and built the incredible, incredible narrative slash gameplay loop that makes Celeste so special later on. But it was the same team. Well, a few weeks ago, surprise release, in three days, they built Celeste 2 on the same Pico 8 engine. And so far, it's Celeste with a grappling hook. Sounds and pretty that's good. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very well designed. It's unfathomably hard and it's absolutely free anybody can play it plug your xbox controller into your pc load up a web browser go play it same team same creators new character named lonnie who, who's uh who's the center of things new kinds of puzzles and i just just play this game it's great it, do you think do you think this might be a hint at celeste 2 or I do, do you not think have... they just did it for fun I mean, they made it in three days, you know, but it's mm -hmm. the same team. And I suspect that in addition to being gifted artists, musicians, and game designers, the creators of Celeste also like money. 
So <laughs> I think there's a, require very it. Good, a very good chance that Celeste 2, well, yeah, or require it, that Celeste 2 is a thing that will happen because I don't know about you, but if I see Celeste 2, I'm buying it on three different platforms, you know, <laughs> and, and and I, I also, I suspect they have more stories to tell. The story of Celeste, already so extraordinarily powerful, why not build on it if you have the opportunity? But, you know, that's especially, my thought. Especially given the, the creator speaking about how it's a trans story, but at the time of writing, the team didn't think of it that way because it was mm-hmm. just so I don't know if you all have read that um piece that the no. Celeste creator did um but gosh I wish that I had like any more information about that uh, to share so people can find this piece I'm googling it very quickly uh uh we can put it in the description if I remember so people can take a look at it uh while they're listening or after, if they want a little bit more context, just cut me off when you found it though. And you want to continue. I found it. So yeah. So the creator, uh, Maddie Thorson did a uh, medium post and the, I'm loading it up right now. And the uh, headline for that is, is Madeline canonically trans? And you can uh, read that for more information about the process that Maddie went through um, because there was, you know, a lot of speculation about it, a lot of like why, you know, there's so many trans allegories. Why isn't it more obviously trans? And well, Maddie talks about that in the piece. um, But I I wonder, you know, that's a, that's something that could be explored uh, further, you know, in a sequel, of course. Um, I mean, it's the same, you know, the same way that the matrix has always been a trans allegory, but it wasn't obviously about transness at the time of release because the creators weren't out yet. So um, it's kind of, to me, like that's how I interpret it as a very similar sort of thing where it's just like something that's in your heart. Um, So that's something I'm I'm excited to see uh, if there's going to be more Celeste, I would, I would love to see how that has evolved because it it really is an evolution that we were able to witness through the game. I I love the idea of a piece of work that, maybe doesn't make sense fully to the creator at the time, but they're just putting like what they're feeling and what what's in their heart, like on it. And then it's not until like years later that you look back on it and you're like, that's why I did it that way. Like, that's why I, I, I love the idea of, of something like that. Like that, it, it adds so much, like, I want to go back and play Celeste now because like, mm-hmm. like it completely changes your, your perspective on that game. And like that, the creators weren't even aware of like it was just in their brain you know yeah it's it makes the art not that art where you knew the intent fully is not pure but there's just something very like there's something very um beautiful about the process of the creation of art when you think about it as a form of self-exploration where like by even by the end of creating it you haven't fully reached the final stage of that exploration. Um, the, I mean, there, there's lots of things where that can happen. Like I, I recently got diagnosed with ADHD and then I was looking back on my life and I was like, oh, so that was a symptom. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, that was, that's not a character flaw or trait or failing that I have. Like that was just me having ADHD and not knowing. And like, uh, I, I, it's interesting to look back on, on things with a new lens over time. 
that does make me want to go back and play Celeste. Uh, and honestly, just whatever they have planned next, because even if it's not Celeste 2, I'm sure whatever they do is going to be excellent. And I hope it has a grappling hook as well, because it sounds like that's a pretty cool addition. Well, this is like the most accessible thing in the world. I mean, you load up the Matt Makes Games Pico 8 site, it loads at about three seconds, and you're playing. So please try uh, the uh, Celeste Classic 2, uh, because it's uh, it's pretty darn dope. And the puzzles they've created around the grappling hook already, like in the 72-hour game, I can't fathom what they come up with in in a full-fledged product. I'm going to check it out. Uh, I have been playing Valheim. Jean-Luc, and I've been playing Valheim as well. Mm -hmm. Speaking of big open-world games that are very peaceful, Valheim is definitely one of those. I have been having a pretty good time with it. Uh, I don't. I, I feel like so many people have talked so much about this game in a very short period of time because it kind of just took steam and Twitter and the internet and YouTube and whatnot by storm. But it is a very, very good survival game. I think it trims down a lot of the fat that kind of held back some of the, I don't want to say the not as good ones, but maybe the more intimidating uh, survival games, something like like Rust, for example, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago that I had jumped into and tried out. This feels so much maybe not better designed but so much more approachable and part of that is due to the fact that you're it's a more cooperative environment as opposed to a pvp environment although you still can do pvp i haven't done it yet because you don't want to do that or i don't want to do that but i think one of my favorite things about it so far is that it's very good at setting goals for you like there are personal goals that you can set like oh i want to go over here and build a giant viking house because i think that would look cool on this hill but there's also bosses that you need to destroy there's certain areas of the map that they're not necessarily gate like level gated or anything but there are certain areas of the map that are clearly more dangerous uh and if you head there without the proper equipment weapons you will get your ass handed to you so it kind of i I don't know I, i feel like it's one of the few survival games i've played since maybe the forest where there has been a a conflict that I am trying to deal with that I didn't create myself. It's not like, oh, I got to survive the rain or survive hunger or whatever, like simple things. It's like actual somewhat story-related obstacles that I need to um, uh, defeat. And that aspect of it, I really like. Uh, so so I, I'm, I'm having a good time with it. I'm excited to see what's next. Apparently, there's some there's a lot I still haven't seen, which is also another reason why I like it because I feel like a lot of the survival games you can kind of you run out of surprises a little sooner than you'd hope like you always think there might be something cool and then you get there and it's like uh nope it's just more forests that I can chop down um but I mean I'm someone who likes likes those games anyway but yeah Val, Val, I think Valheim's very special and I'm excited to see what happens with it yeah I mean for me it's like I like how it kind of strips away some of maybe the frustrations that like, like a rust is like, that game is like brutal, you know, Mm -hmm. like that game is like so hardcore. It's like the extreme other end. We're like, you have a hunger meter in, in kind of in, in in, uh, Valheim, but it's like, it's just like there to kind of boost your stamina. Like they, they strip away a lot of like the, the survival mechanic elements where there's no stress around that. And then like the music is just so peaceful and relaxing. the lighting is gorgeous. And the too. lighting is gorgeous. And it's got this like bokeh depth of field that like, just when it hits right, you're like, Oh man. Like, so you just like it, it, 
you kind of just have a good time just like wandering around and like enjoying yourself and then you go into like the black woods and it like gets all creepy and like the lighting changes and yeah i think that game just like has an atmosphere to it that other uh, survival games don't quite have with the exception of maybe the forest i think the forest is like the closest because the forest is probably the other only like survival game that i like truly liked most of them i like kind of fall off pretty quickly like this mm-hmm. is another one where it gives me the same vibes as the forest although the forest is actually very intense and stressful <laughs> in a way that this is not yeah. <laughs> they both just give the player objectives apart from just surviving yes which which i think is also much needed for me like i i kind of need like a some sort of goal to keep me going um otherwise mm-hmm. i just sort of lose steam with those kinds of games pretty quickly i will say the the best thing my favorite thing about Valheim and this sounds really stupid but I love it is the fact that you can repair your equipment for free yes (laughs) you don't need wood to it's so nice to walk up and just hit a button and it's repaired like it sounds really stupid but I cannot stand that when you have something about to about to break and then you go and it's like no you don't have the materials you need to fix it and it's just like come on please (laughs) no i mean the the contemporary survival genre that that we owe i guess most recently to minecraft and daisy is still i mean we're just now reaching that level of maturity where we're looking at at the equivalent of like health pickups in an fps versus regenerating health like Mm -hmm. quality of life is beginning to happen that's really really exciting i you're actually selling me on this i have been thinking about getting into it the one question i have for both of you is i don't i hate other humans in my survival games you can play by yourself am i okay by myself and all i'm gonna have fun Mm -hmm. yeah okay great so thank you other people stay out of my survival game i don't like you (laughs) Let me enjoy my wilderness. Go away. I Initially, I was saying I probably wouldn't play Valheim by myself, but the more I think about it, I think I probably would. I don't know if I'd play it as much, but I still definitely would just because it is a very relaxing and meditative game like Breath of the Wild or or Red Dead in that sense. And and it just it looks stunning, like the the the, the design of it, the style of it just looks incredible, uh, especially like early mornings late at nights when you've got like the the blues on one side and like the the warm sun on the other and the way they blend together and light just comes through the trees it's it's great and the music too it's in the fog yeah just very atmospheric uh the world's also like absurdly absurdly massive like i was exploring for we've been exploring for hours in our server and i zoom out and it's just like a planet-sized area to explore and it's like oh there's there's a lot here to dig into mm-hmm. oh, that sounds like a jared-ass game i need to play this i think you'd like it even if you don't get hooked i think you'd still enjoy it for what it is um i, I like survival games and i like chill games and i like big open worlds this sounds great yeah i like it anyway let's move on to the big topic of the week All right, and we are back with topics, or should I say topic, because the Nintendo Direct just happened, and that's all we're going to talk about. There was a lot to talk about. I think we're just going to stick with the bigger announcements, so things that hadn't been announced previously, as well as some specific games that those of us here want to call out. Uh, But if there's no opposition, I can just go through these chronologically, and we can 
say our piece on them if there's anything we want to say at all. Yeah, let's, let's go for it. Sure. All right. First thing, Pyra from Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is coming to Smash. Thank God it's not Rex. That's all I have to say. I love <laughs> I love that trailer because I was sitting it was there a like, good trailer. I'm like, is this a, a like a DLC? DLC? Like they already did one? Like is this a Xenoblade Chronicles two two? Like what is this? And then it was just like, oh, it's oh, it's Smash. That was actually yeah. it, it got me. It was it the you. most. Oh, go ahead, Jared. Oh, just spinning around with the envelope and the seal. That was adorable. That was <laughs> yeah. really, really, really well done. Was that the most involved DLC trailer so far? Because they like had full voice, like like I they've done special cutesy things before for the trailers, like you know, like Isabelle or whatever. But I I felt like that was the the most involved one they've done. Yeah, they've gotten so creative. Like the Joker one is still so good. Yeah, the, the Joker one though that came so out of left field. Though I think that's <laughs> why. But but I think that's why this one was good too, is because I wasn't expecting a Smash character reveal. I think the Sephiroth one was like recreated, like the whole fight scene from Advent Children. With, like, oh Cloud, yeah, um, which mm-hmm. I've never seen, but people were very excited about that. So I was like, "That's cool." Yeah. I have seen Advent Children. Never played a Final Fantasy game though. My only memory <laughs> Advent Children is going into my local cyber um, cafe to play some games with a friend. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> what a sentence! Oh, I and love it. And uh, they had like, it was like mostly PCs, but they had like a corner where they had like a TV and a couch and there were just a bunch of people watching Advent Children on that TV. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you guys go. You know what? Have, you seem like you're having a good time just watching Advent Children at the Cyber Cafe. I, I rented it at Blockbuster. I watched it. I don't remember it, but I went to Blockbuster and picked that out for some reason, even though at the time I had also never played a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> It, it sure is a Final Fantasy film. I, I you know, it, it sure is. I, if you're gonna watch a Final Fantasy movie, I figure you should watch. Uh, you should watch the one that Alec Baldwin is in. I mean, that, that's where my my mind goes. The, the what one, now? Yeah, yeah. You what? oh, the, the spirits within. Oh, that spirits my, within. The theatrically released Final Fantasy movie, the, the spirits the, within. Alec Baldwin, starring <laughs> Alec Baldwin, bankrupted just... square. <laughs> Uh, I'm just is, picturing is, him with like Cloud's hair. <laughs> uh, I believe with uh, with a, um, I don't remember, unfortunately, the digital thespian's name, but they actually tried to create a digital actor as well for that movie, if I remember right. Someone that would appear in multiple features. Um, I, I think, was it Aki Ross? Was was that the name? Am I no remembering idea. this right? Or am I getting mixed up? Now I feel uh, like I, I've stepped, I could be mixing up ancient Sega Saturn more with this, but I think it was Aki <laughs> Ross. I'm, I'm going to furiously Google this. Someone else please talk. Uh, I mean, I, I think my big hope with this character is they do something similar with, oh, it is, that is it? The character's name is Dr. Aki Ross indeed. Yes, and I believe... She was intended to appear in other movies, if I'm remembering. So she was going to be the, yeah. like the Sid of their movie universe. Uh, I again, I feel like I'm overstepping my my bounds here, but I think that this was the idea. Yes, okay. I'm pretty sure that this is like a a digital actor kind of thing. But yeah, go back and watch the Spirit Within because it's 
it's not good, but it's it's got some really it's about like space ghosts and Gaianism guyism and it's, coast it's coast? kind of cool. Yeah. Not space, not coast to coast. That would be much better. <laughs> oh my gosh, HBO Max has all of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> uh that's that's a whole other thing. We're talking about video games. I'll shut up and, and Google Aki Ross some more. Um, I was going to say that I hope they do something similar like they did with Sephiroth where you can unlock Pyra early if you beat her in a fight. I thought that was Mm -hmm. a really cool mechanic that I hope they do more of, but I guess canonically it probably doesn't work as well as Sephiroth since he was a bad guy and he was like, challenge me or whatever. But Uh, (laughs) My favorite thing about this trailer was uh, because it was at the very beginning, my role during these kinds of events is to do like editing after stories have been published. Um, so I didn't have anything to do yet. So I was watching it and I get a text from Jake. Jake that's like, surprised they didn't nerf the boobs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had the exact same thought because they were really, there's one part of the, the reveal where they're kind of like right in your face. And uh, I think it's interesting because uh, Nintendo did a lot of butt nerfing, uh, but, Apparently not boob nerfing, so uh, I think we all know what that says about them. About That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> uh, Aki Aki Ross update <laughs> has now found an old New York Times article where Tom Hanks is expressing his worry about how digital actors may. Uh, this is from the year two thousand one. I remember this. And, and Tom Hanks is a little worried about what the threat that digital actors uh, have for conventional actors. Wow, this is just a thing to see. Okay, then back, he back up to in butts. The Polar Express. He was a ah, character in that Polar movie. Express. Oh my gosh, he was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now we got Robert Zemeckis talking about it here in the article. Okay. You know what? I need to be on a podcast and stop obsessing. About <laughs> There was a discussion there were like butts or something going on a minute ago. I, I, fin- I finished my thought. I just, you know, it was just a little observation that I made. Uh, Mario Golf Super Rush, another Mario Golf game. How's that make y'all feel? I, I remember really being into a Mario Golf game on the Game Boy Advance. That's it. I played a Mario <laughs> Golf game years ago. The Mario Golf games are pretty fun. I've played most of them actually and i'm and i'm oddly excited for this one uh not like i can't wait to play it but it's definitely something i will be picking up because i feel like when nintendo does these sports games they're always good enough but then they have that nintendo charm that makes them more enjoyable and that golf rush mode sounded kind of cool where you are playing golf with other people in real time instead of like taking turns and i like the idea of it you know it shooting your shot and then running as quickly as you can to the hole rather than cut to your character being already set up. That sounds kind of neat. Yeah. The four player chaos that, that, that likely will institute in the game. That alone, I think is, is worth the trouble. There's a, there's an old Atari 7800 game called Ninja Golf. Uh, it was an exclusive on the platform. One of the only exclusives to ever come to that, that doomed console. Ninja Golf is a game where you're a ninja playing golf. You hit a ball in a classic, like standard golf game. And then it turns into a side-scrolling brawler where you fight your way through ninjas and monsters to the next, like, to where the ball is. Then you pop back and hit the ball toward the hole again. And you keep doing that until you get to the green where you fight a dragon and then you put the ball in the hole. And I 
really like seeing this kind of playful, energetic four player take on golf where we're all rushing forward. No one's wasting time. I bet you there's some blue shell elements and ways to screw with the leader that'll, that'll make it fun. I, I cannot wait to play this. The Mario golf games are consistently excellent all the way to back to like NES class or NES open uh, it, way back in the day in the late eighties, early nineties, but also Nintendo uh, and Jeremy Parrish has done some really interesting research around this. Nintendo's golf is one of the most important golf video games ever. The one that goes way, way back to the early 80s. They kind of invented that whole golf like hit meter thing we use. That was Nintendo's idea. Oh. They revolutionized golf video games and sort of created the standard that like 35 years later we're still using. So I have a feeling this is going to be a great video game, and I can't wait to play it. I real life golf, I, I couldn't care less about, but if, mm-hmm. if Mario's involved and <laughs> Nintendo's involved, I am in. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I, I played a lot of the 3DS one. I played a lot of the GameCube one, Nintendo 64 and whatnot. Uh wait, was there one for the Nintendo 64? Or am I thinking Mario Tennis? You're thinking you might be thinking Mario Tennis. I, I've always been more of a I don't Mario think Tennis. I, yeah, I don't think person. I played one on 64, but I played one on GameCube. I remember that for sure. And because uh, that was the last console one that they were talking about, because they said the last one was like 2003. Um, but anyway, I'm excited for that. No More Heroes 3, Jean Luc. I'm excited for that. I love No More Heroes. No More Heroes is, is so weird and out there. Um, this they're finally making a third one after they did um, Travis Strikes Back, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I, I always say it wrong, um, which was kind of like a weird in-between, like co-op-y, arcade style game. It was very, it played very different. This is like proper No More Heroes. They're bringing back like the weird. Um... So in the first game, you would be like doing these assassin fights and you would have to uh, uh, like raise money. So you'd have to go like do like meaning like side jobs where you'd like mow someone's lawn or like, you know, do stuff like that to like earn money to go do the next fight. And they took that out of two and kind of streamlined it. But I actually really liked that stuff. I thought it like added a lot of charm to the game. So they're, they seem to be bringing that stuff back while also just like ramping up the insanity of it. So uh, I have a very soft spot in my heart for for No More Heroes, so I'm very I'm very excited for that game. Jared, do you have any experience with the No More Heroes games? I do, and I I'm a big fan of Grasshopper Manufacturers' kind of weird, wacky approach to game making. They they can they can sometimes have some truly bizarre conclusions, but I do oh, like sure. that they're generally speaking trying something new. And I think the No More Heroes games are solid. I think especially two. Um, which irons out a lot of the, the issues with one. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that this could be a third times the charm situation. I'm actually really, really, really looking forward to it. Um, it's a it's a mature series, not in the rated M for mature way, but in that this has been worked on and refined and gone back to mm-hmm. again and again. It doesn't take itself seriously. It's about lightsaber fighting. Yeah. Although it's hard it's, to go wrong with that. It's also rated M in the mature way as well. Yeah, they, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, I like mechanically, like uh, I think two is great. Although I, I, I like the story aspects of, of one more, and and um, uh, I think you uh, Suda wasn't as involved in in two, but like if if you haven't played that, the uh, Travis Strikes Back, it it's a I don't want to call it a great game, but it's like a it's a weird weird game that's like this basically like an allegory for like Suda's career and it's like like the whole thing is like Travis is like wrestling with the idea if he wants to go back and like 
be an assassin again and it's like clearly like a stand-in for like suda like if he wants to actually make a no more heroes 3 it's such a weird weird thing yeah. as like a like an art piece almost um and 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 I want I want to see more of that bizarre energy brought in the into No More Heroes three. So I'll I don't like every suit of game, but I'll, I'll always try. I'll always try a suit of game. That's where I fall. <laughs> I, I I got to spend almost an hour interviewing once, and one of the takeaways from that was we spent almost the entire time. It turned out talking about his company band mm-hmm. and about Fire Pro Wrestling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like those were the two right. topics. Yeah, like most of the time. Like he wrote one of the Fire Pro games back in the day, um, oh. and yeah, he, he's any but. You get the impression from a lot of his games that he's going to be this just complete up his own butt narcissist. But he's just the most like laid back dude. I, and I, I really do appreciate that he makes these kind of mid-level, mid-tier art piece video games that are what he wants them to be. And hit or miss, the industry needs that and needs people like him. So I, I, I really like this game's coming out. I can't wait to play it. Next, we have probably the winner for the worst title I've seen in a long time, Project Triangle Strategy. What are you talking about? That's a great name. I hope they don't uh, change it. They shouldn't. I, I know it's you know, a working title. They should go with that. You know what they're going to do? Because they did this with Octopath Traveler. It was called Project Octopath Traveler. And then they dropped the project <laughs> and called it Octopath Traveler. So they're going to drop the project. And it's going to be called Triangle Strategy, which Excellent. I don't know if that's an improvement at all. Uh, that being said, though, I'm excited for this game. I had a chance to play a little bit of the demo before we started recording, but I didn't have a lot of time, so I didn't get to see much. But uh, w- what I saw was really cool. Like It seems like Final Fantasy Tactics, but with that, w- with what, w- with the style that Square Enix has been doing for these Nintendo Switch games, like Octopath Traveler, or uh, uh, to a lesser extent, Bravely Default, which comes out later in the month. Are you guys excited for that one? It's a real Jake game. It's a real Peter Brown sounding game. It is a real Peter Brown game. I want to know what Peter Brown thinks of it. I want to know that too. I never played Octopath Traveler, but I have been meaning to try it because it seems like a game I would would quite like. And I've also never played Final Fantasy Tactics. And that's also a game I've been meaning to play. So (laughs) maybe I'll play this and then go play Tactics or play Tactics in this. I I should just try, I should try one of these games at some point because they seem like they'd be up my alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't wait. Don't sit on tactics. So go find a go find War of the Lions, which has the better translation, and play it. It's it's really worth your time. Um, people love to say this is the Game of Thrones of video games or the Game of Thrones of this, but like Final Fantasy Tactics actually is Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, it, it really is. Like long before that, those scripts were written. It's just this Machiavellian. Every hour, someone's betraying somebody, betraying somebody thing, and but it's also a superbly implemented combination of a good tactics game where your decisions really matter and a great job system game where you can have a lot of fun tweaking your characters and breaking the game in interesting ways. Um, tactics games are a kind of a rare and precious subgenre. We get XCOM, we get Final Fantasy Tactics with the incredible Tactics Ogre Let Us Clean Together, which I don't think got nearly the love it deserved. And it's probably still the best tactics game ever made. Uh, that came out only about five years ago, I think. I really want to play this. Square has more hits than misses in the tactics space, so mm-hmm. pretty excited about it. And these games, the thing about tactics games that I think people miss is they are way more accessible usually than they seem. They look 
complicated and dull and hard to get into, but y'all have played Fire Emblem, right? I mean, yeah, yeah it, that's that's <laughs> what this is. It's Fire Emblem's just growing out of that same stream. Um, oh, geez, my, my brain went dead now. Um, uh, I, I mean, you, you sold me on the concept because I, I actually, I think I was editing something when this went up, so I, I didn't really see the trailer, but I do really like tactics games. I'm kind of like newer to to that genre but uh i'll i don't know i i want to look for like like i'm looking for new ones but i'll probably play final fantasy tactics first have you uh, played into the breach that was what i was trying to remember oh into the breach is so good yeah, into the breach is excellent yeah that was almost no that was that was one of our top games whenever that came out but it, but it was very good yeah. Well, I can't recommend enough. Um, if you can get your hands on an old Vita, go dig up Tactics Over, Let Us Clean Together, which is the Final Fantasy Tactics team getting the band back together like 15 years later and making a new game. And it's Final Fantasy Tactics 2, and it's better in every way. It's it's incredible. I do and have a Vita. There you go. <laughs> Tactics Over. All right. Uh Neon White, Jared, you added this one. You you wanted to talk about it. It looks pretty cool uh, based on the trailer. It looked like a very fast-paced first-person shooter with a unique style. Yeah, I, I was excited about this. I, the, you know, you've got people like, hey, I'm doing heavenly stuff. We're up here in the heavens being assassins. And that's just video game stuff, whatever. But the card thing looked neat. But then I, I happened to see a name uh, as, as it was flashing at the end. And that changed my entire opinion. And that name was Ben Esposito. Uh, yeah. If you're not yeah, that's right. This is a Ben Esposito game. I had no idea. I missed it's that. It. I missed that part. This is this the is, first I'm hearing of that. Now I'm sold. It's a guy who made Donut County. This is yeah. one of the dudes that was on Edith Finch. This is, I mean, this is like, I am in. This dude can do no wrong up to this point when it comes to video games. So Does yeah, not play, miss. <laughs> yeah, please continue, Cal. Jump in. Tell, tell me about that. Oh, I re I'm really excited because I completely missed that it was Ben Esposito, but I love Edith Finch. I think Donut County's freaking cute. I love that raccoon. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that you know his oeuvre, if you will, includes both a very just like just humor focused kind of game, and then Edith Finch. So um, yeah, now I'm like now I'm in on this one. Thanks for adding it because I absolutely <laughs> I was I was in the middle of editing something else, and I did I would not have found that information. Again, probably it would have been lost in the news ether. Yeah, I, I was really lucky. It just jumped. I was just like, I was looking to see who made this because I thought it was an interesting idea. And I was like, that's been this. And I went back and actually scrubbed through that. I was like, yep, holy crap. So I was like, yay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think there's a better better chance than not this is going to be a pretty good video game. Yeah, it definitely looks interesting. I'm excited for that one as well. And then you also added the Famicom Detective Club. Okay, Kelly's dancing. Kelly's dancing. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that oh, I was so excited. Multiple people messaged me and they were like, "Are you pumped?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I had a moment where I was watching the trailer and I was like, "Is this the murder mystery series that was riffed upon in Danganronpa 2? That is Twilight Syndrome." I was incorrect, but I'm still very excited because I think that era is really interesting i think that the the way that it has been recreated like the art style like all of that looks really great um i'm just i'm here for it i'm so here for it yeah i i'm really excited for it too that yuji hori i 
is, you know, we, we've heard of him from Dragon Quest, but he's an even bigger deal in Japan than he is here. Like, he's the kind of person you see him on television, you know who he is there. Like, everybody recognizes yeah. him. And Dragon Quest music is in, like, talk shows well, at least once a week. If you're watching some channel in Japan, you're going to hear Dragon Quest music in the background. But he's responsible not just for console RPGs, as we understand them today. He also made, before Dragon Quest, a game called the Portopia Serial Murder Project, um, or Portopia, which is kind of the OG visual novel that created this whole uh the dating sim visual novel genre or the danganronpas and all this that we understand today in japan it was a bigger deal it's becoming more one right now but we we wouldn't have things like hotafa boyfriend if it weren't for Mm -hmm. yuji hori and we wouldn't and famicom detective club is nintendo's early riff on the portopia idea uh, to give you an idea how important this is for storytelling, you'll find Portopia references hidden in Metal Gear games because Kojima is just crazy about it. And it deeply influences the way he thinks about storytelling, this deep, deep story where your investigation helps make the world more clear around you through a series of what Hori thought about as interacting with the computer at a time, you know, having a conversation with the computer at a time when that didn't seem possible. He simulated that effect. The Famicom games tie into that i you know that there are fan translations at least of a famicom detective club 2 the snes port that came later and that's fine but now they're accessible and this is wonderful little slice of history that shows where so many of the games that we love today if you've ever dated anybody any dream daddy if you've ever gone out with a pigeon <laughs> in a video game it, this is where it all kind of began so that's why i'm excited about it there's my rant oh. about Famicom Detective Club. See, you are so much more knowledgeable than I. I was just like, woo, murder. I love it. Let's go. <laughs> and you were like, oh, it has this long history and it's actually a valuable thing to play. <laughs> yeah, this gives us some insight into it. I've tried to stumble through uh, uh, Famicom Detective Club in Japanese. My Japanese is just not good enough. Um, but in Japan, these have a nostalgia to them. If you play the Game Center CX, do you know the Game Center CX games? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're these, okay, so. Jared goes on a tangent. Jake, shoot me down if I'm killing us. No, no, no. We love All it. Right. All right. So the, the game, there's two of them. The Game Center CX games, or there's three now technically, but we're not going to count the third. <laughs> there are these video games. One came out in America about being a kid in Japan in the early 1980s. And every month you've got you've got a Famicom or something like a Famicom. And every month you get a video game magazine in the mail. And every now and then your mom and dad buy you a new video game. And you're playing these mini games that are evocative of Japanese classic video games, the same ones we grew up playing, but they're polished and refined for modern sensibilities and they're full of secrets. And the virtual game magazines you get in the mail have like secrets you could look up, like old Nintendo powers to unlock new mm-hmm. things and find hidden games. And it's this wonderful kind of combination of a storytelling game and a retro throwback and a bunch of good mini games. The second one of those, which never came to America, is full of these Famicom Detective Club games, like parodies of them. And we never got that in America because we don't have that nostalgia. But for millions of former Japanese kids the same age as as the people who are playing those, this is every bit as wonderful as getting a new Super Mario game. That's another thing I think is cool. We're getting to touch another culture's like special cultural experience and get get a, even more of an understanding of what video games mean to a country that's had so much to do with how we enjoy them here in America today. Okay, that was a long time. 
Well, now I'm excited too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Callie, these next two are for you. All righty, let's go. So uh, the first one is World's End Club. Um, That's an interesting one. I I have it on iOS. The the entire game is not on iOS, uh, but it's by the Danganronpa creator. Um, And the unfortunately, I think the direct actually did kind of spoil the early game twist. uh, If you've played Danganronpa. Uh, which, you know, now that the direct, if you've, you're listening to this and you've seen the direct, oh, well, like it's not that big a deal, but I was like, oh, I, I, I thought it was interesting when I was playing because you start out and they, they showed this in the direct, you start out doing this, uh, a similar murder game, um, that you'll see in Danganronpa, uh, where you're like trapped underwater and, uh, you have to do this killing game thing. Um, but then the killing game is ended prematurely and you go up to the surface in japan discover that everything's weird um the controls kind of stopped me from playing it uh too much after that point um because i was just playing on my phone and that wasn't really working great for me so i'm i'm excited to give it another shot um on switch because i think it'll be a little bit easier there's some kind of like combat-esque sequences that just weren't working for me uh with a touch screen um but i I want to experience more because I think uh, Kazutaka Kodaka, who's the creator of Danganronpa, go always got a trick up his sleeve. Really, like when I interviewed him a couple of years ago, like he, I asked him, like uh, he basically said that he makes games that he would want to play, and I kind of asked him why, and he like, so what do you think of the people who like them? Because he was describing himself as like weird. He's like, I'm weird, and I make games that I like to play. I was like, what, what do you think of all the fans? Like, were you expecting them? And he was like, I don't consider them fans. I consider them Nakama. And I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. And I know what Nakama means. And I think the translator uh, just said like friends. And I was like, no, kindred spirits, comrades <laughs> in arms. <laughs> it is deeper than that. So uh, I I want to give it another shot because I have faith that there's more to it. It, it was it. Did it quite work for me on iOS? I'm excited to try it on Switch. And then Animal Crossing, Callie. And then Animal Crossing, which I will call you out right now, was not on the list until uh, yeah, the middle of this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I forget what order it actually came in in the presentation, but obviously we were expecting the Mario stuff to happen. Um, like that has been announced for months. And I, you know, I knew that there would, would be certain you know, items like the question block and the, you know, the mushroom and the, the shell because the Mario furniture series has been in Animal Crossing since the beginning. Um, but what I was not ready for was fast travel via warp pipe. That absolutely <laughs> fucked me up. <laughs> I was like, I, I have stuff to do, but I am not going to do it for a second because um, I was not ready for that. Um so that's fascinating. Like that is uh, the kind of mechanic, uh, like an addition of a mechanic that I was not expecting from this update. It's not, you know, it's not, it's no Brewster. It's no museum upgrade, but that's wild. I he, Here I am over here, like, I wish they'd let me put rugs outside. And then they're like, warp pipe, <laughs> go in it. <laughs> um, 
So that was really exciting. And I think one of the interesting things actually, well, two of the interesting things is in that trailer, they basically showed the entire list of items, um, which I then transcribed and put in an article for you all to enjoy on <laughs> gaysmont.com. But um, it, it basically, I think shows every item um, that's, it seemed like a pretty comprehensive list in Nook Shopping, which is the uh, shopping app in the game. Um, there were a couple items from previous games that weren't included in that list. So the fire bar is a notable one that was in previous Animal Crossing games and the like bullet bill cannon. Um, but there were some new ones as well. Uh, so that was that. And, th and then also I think something that I was pretty excited about uh, as someone who's been frustrated with the limited time events in the game, I think it's kind of hard if you are not gonna be playing for eight hours a day like I did for the festival event to write the festival guide that nobody read. I, <laughs> I, uh, if you're not gonna spend that much time in the event, you're, you're probably going to miss some limited time items. And that has been a problem, especially for people with the, uh, like the mushroom set that was kind of hard to get um, or some of the holiday items. Uh, this Mario set actually does not seem to be time locked or time uh, or limited time because my, my thinking on this is um, in the trailer, they show that it is part of the promotion section of Nook Shopping that is different than the event section. So you'll find like the Lunar New Year stuff, the Valentine's Day stuff, all of that's in a special like seasonal section of Nook Shopping. The promotion section is different. That's where you can find like the pocket camp crossover items. Uh, and because I've unlocked those items, they're just permanently there for me to buy whenever I want. And so I think that's how these Mario items work, which is such a big improvement on previous games where like, like originally way back when you would have to like get like it was an actual special promotion back when Nintendo would like make you go to a place and like in New Leaf, you had to, it was um, random. You would buy a fortune cookie and whatever number you get, you would get that item. Now, now you can just buy whatever one you want um, from the looks of it. So that's an improvement because I would not want to have to stand at Nook's Cranny buying a thousand fortune cookies, trying to get specifically Peach's crown, <laughs> you know? So, um, and that's another thing they added a lot of outfits, uh, which were not in the previous Mario furniture series and sound um, effects too when you put on mario's it makes like a mario sound effect or whatever mm -hmm. um a lot of cute details uh like especially one of the interesting things i think is the thwomp because it floats in the air uh which it, there's no other new horizons item that does this um i one thing that's you i can't tell from the trailer is if you can just walk directly under it obviously it's a thwomp so it comes down but like does that take up an entire like square of space? Like, how does that work? So uh, some interesting things there that I would probably dive into when I have access to them. Uh, uh, yeah, really. I, I, the warp pipe thing, I could not believe that. You just, uh, just, just go ahead, just go ahead, click on it. You'll enter it because the physics doesn't matter. And then you'll appear at the, on the other side. And the game already has fast travel. You can call Rossetti. This is why it's so wild to me. <laughs> Watching your like unmitigated excitement and, and joy at this is, is a pretty fantastic experience. Uh, I'm very, very, very happy to witness this, Gallagher. Thanks. I'm glad it's not annoying. <laughs>
Not in the least. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Two more things. The big ones. Skyward Sword coming to Nintendo Switch. Uh, there's two ways you can play it. You can play it with a, a, a using motion controls with your Joy-Cons, or you can use the control stick in order to direct your sword. It's coming out, what they say, June 20-something? I love how they trolled this, if you don't mind me interrupting for a moment. Oh, yeah, go for it. This about the controls, too. Starting with, and you can play it with both Joy-Cons. Yeah. I mean, there have been calls for years to play this without motion controls from, from many fans. So him going through a long, detailed thing on that, and then they're like, or if you just, that was absolutely <laughs> intentional. That was brilliant. And very, and was, very funny. It was uh, right after the troll where Anuma was like, I know you want me to talk about Breath of the Wild too, <laughs> but I won't be doing that. <laughs> oh my God. That was, the thing is like, I feel like to an American, that's just a troll, but I think that was just like a nice courtesy. You yeah, know? <laughs> I appreciate like, it. Like, I, although I wish they'd do something with uh, Metroid uh, at some point, because boy, that's been a while. Well, uh, I, I imagine, I, I'm only speculating here, but I, I actually have a lot of sympathy for the position you're in. I, I would be shocked if COVID hasn't thrown Mm -hmm. production schedules just mm. completely off the rails for them for years i mean nintendo's making money hand over fist right now they're selling video games by by the bushel they would be selling even more video games if they had them they know that i think they plan to have them they're just doing their best in in a in a really difficult situation that's not their fault is my guess about what's happening with the the supply at the moment um mm -hmm. and so i really actually appreciated him coming out there and just being like Here's the elephant in the room, y'all. You're going to hear yeah. something later, but I'm just not ready to talk about it. But yeah, I, mean, I, I suspect Prime's in the same boat. I mean, they came out and told us, we're restarting this. You'll hear from us when it's ready. I appreciated that mm -hmm. um, a, a couple of years ago. And, you know, we'll get it. We're going to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I mean by saying, like, I think to an American audience, that's more of like a, ah, fuck you kind of like move. <laughs> I think like if a, a, a an American developer did that, it would be like a troll. But I think coming from a Japanese dev and especially Nintendo, it really is just like a please understand moment, um, which I, I know people were upset by, but I'm, I was glad it was followed up by Skyward Sword. The release date is July 16th, by the way. July 16th. Um, Our, and I, I am very, I just really want to say this before I forget, um, really good on them for making it slightly more accessible control wise. Um, yes. I think obviously they kind of had to do that with the release of the Switch Lite because it would have been unplayable for everybody who owns one of those. Mm -hmm. But um, also, you know, just having the uh, option to not use most motion controls has been a sticking point with Nintendo in the past. And I think that um, making it even slightly more accessible, obviously Nintendo has a ways to go when it comes to accessibility in the way that like Microsoft does it. But um, I think, you know, that's pretty important. I've never played Skyward Sword, so I'm really excited to to play it. Yeah, I actually haven't played Skyward Sword either. It's one of the few 3D Zelda games. I mean, just Zelda games in general that I have, I have not, not even started it. Um, so same, I'm excited. Same. I'm excited to play it in that sense. Uh, have you guys played Skyward Sword? Are you excited for it? Or are you hoping for something else? I know a lot of people were banking on a, a Zelda collection, which sounded too good <laughs> to be true at yeah. the time. I'm, I'm, I played it before. I enjoyed it. I, I have my problems with it. I think the pacing of that game is a little not great at times, especially in the early hours. But 
I do wow, think... a Zelda game with early pacing issues? Yeah, but like, <laughs> but like times like 10, like it's really bad. Um, I, I can't defend that part of the game at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Other than the fact that the story stuff's actually kind of good. It, it's, I, I thought it was interesting that like, he he was trying to be like, hey, a lot of the Breath of the Wild mechanics started in this game. So if you like that game, give it a try. Because it's a very different game. It is like super like traditional Zelda um, in a lot of ways. It, it's it's very cutscene heavy, very story heavy. I, I think that stuff probably will grate on a lot of people because it takes a while for the game to really get going. That said, I do think that game has some of like the best dungeon design in Zelda. Like, it's got some really good dungeons. If if you're someone who cares about like the Zelda lore, uh, it's got a lot of really good, like it, it's basically like supposed to be like the first game in the Zelda timeline. So it kind of like explains um, a lot of the setup for Zelda. And, and like, I think people who care about that stuff will really like that part about it. it it's, it, it's also got a really good, I, I really like its version of Zelda because she's like um, Link's childhood friend in this one. So you get a lot of buildup with her. And I think like mm-hmm. they do a really good job um, like establishing her more as a character in, in a way that other Zeldas don't. Uh, even if it does eventually fall into the traditional like, okay, gotta go save her now. Um, it's also got Groose, who's the best Zelda character. I won't hear otherwise. Groose is fantastic. <laughs> uh, come fight me if you disagree. Uh, Ting- the only Tingle thing... has something to say about that. I feel like Tingle and Groose would would get along really well. There's something they, about them. Yeah, they are they are two peas, aren't they? The only thing I know about Groose is a uh, Zelda uh, remix called "Started from the Groose, Now He's Loose," and it <laughs> is with. <laughs> Started from the bottom, now we're here. I I Googled uh, Skyward Sword because I couldn't remember exactly when it came out. And I know the reason I never played it is because I had just begun college. <laughs> and so I didn't have a Wii in my dorm. Um, Imagine like a Jersey Shore character just showing up in like a Zelda game. And like, okay, he, so he's like canonic- the 80s high school bully. He's, he's great. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Canonically, the greatest Zelda character is the guy from Zelda 2 whose name is Error. So you can walk into a room and he says, I am error. Uh, and when when you're 12 and you've just bought Zelda 2, you're very confused. Let me tell you what. Um, you've got a busted copy. Uh, and then later on, when a guy sends you back to go find error, it turns out it was supposed to be Aaron. Uh, and yeah, it just got translated into the game. But yeah, I, I, Skyward Sword is interesting. I, I'm glad they're doing it. It deserves to stay in the sun. It came out at a very weird mm-hmm. time in the Wii's life cycle. Uh, when a lot of good stuff, frankly, there came along at the kind of the end, the tail end was getting ignored uh, or overshadowed. And I'm glad it's getting its day. A Twilight Princess for 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 Wii Zeldas, that's definitely one I prefer. And I, I'd like to get it off Wii U and, and onto Switch. I really hope that happens because I think that is, I mean, again, you talk about slow starts, good Lord. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, a, yeah. But that's, so that's two hours of slow start Zelda and then, 78 hours of the best Zelda that's not called Twilight Princess. Um, <laughs> or pardon me, that's not called Breath of the Wild. Um, I love that game. But I, I hope it gets unlocked, but I'm glad to see Skyward Sword get its day. Yeah. Um, I really, yeah, Jean-Luc, I, I, I'm glad you're excited about it. Yeah, I, I, the only thing that that disappoints me is the price. It's $60, which I feel is is pretty steep for a, a 10-year-old game. I know they're adding and they're changing stuff, and I don't want to like say like it's easy just 
put it on the switch and it's done. Like I know they have to do work <laughs> for it, but the, you know, twilight princess, uh, HD, that was $50. The Wind Waker was $50. Seeing it be $60 for what I think kind of in the in the overall opinion is one of the more mixed Zelda games. I think it's a little weird. I think that's a bit of a hard sell, um, especially because I do think it is a game worth playing, but I, $60 is maybe, it's maybe a little much. So, okay, I, after hearing that, show of hands, who's going to buy it? I mean, that's the thing about Nintendo. Like they're they they got you by the balls. Like you can you can complain about it, but you can't do anything about it. And it, and, and it frustrates me. Listen, like, like Nintendo, I have issues with your practices, but I can't do anything about it. I'm going to buy your game anyway. Uh, yeah, at the end of the day. At, at the end of the day, it's a Zelda game I've never played, and I want to play yeah. it because of that. So it's like I'm gonna buy it. They know no matter what, and they know it, and they I know. know it, and I, I just want to play it because it's a Zelda game I haven't played. I don't, I don't care about it, what people are saying. Like some people really like it, some people don't. It's pretty mixed. Like it's still just a new Zelda game to me. Yeah, and it, at this point, they have like what twenty years of data of people buying re-releases of their games. Like yeah. like how many of us own the same Mario game on like four si- systems, you know. <laughs> I I I I bought every version of every Pokemon game up through like I think up through black and white. But so I stopped at black and white. But before that I like I have red, blue, red, yellow, blue, gold, silver, crystal. Yellow. <laughs> and then I bought yellow and green on 3ds and i got crystal <laughs> or like i got gen 2 and i bought you know like it's mm-hmm. i uh, oh well <laughs> you got me i'm gonna buy it no and- i'm counting in my head right now and I, i've got to have at least eight devices in my house i can play super mario brothers on and i mm-hmm. still bought that little game and watch it was just super mario <laughs> brothers on it for like 50 bucks because yeah because I don't know, I like giving them money because they make good <laughs> things that make me happy. I, yeah. We, we just love to spend our money on Nintendo products. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I, I recently moved and I, pa- I was packing up my stuff and I forgot that I have three different 3DSs. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, my Japanese one. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, any of those? Oh, go ahead, Jake. No, no, no. You, you finish. Do you have any new 3ds's, or are they all? Oh, yeah. I have a I have a, a regular 3ds XL, and then I have my new 3ds, and then my Japanese 3ds, which I can't remember if it's a new or a regular. <laughs> you you got to have that Jose, new 3ds. You can play the Super Nintendo games on it. I mean, that's yeah. The, you know, you got to have that. I love the new 3DS. I think it's one of the most beautifully designed so nice. hardware. I have the one. I have the one with the Famicom colors on it. Like on the yeah, buttons. it's yeah, beautiful. I think, I think my Japanese one is the new 3DS because it has the face plates. Jose Otero, yeah. formerly of of IGN, actually currently of Nintendo, um, gave it to me because <laughs> I had been expressing wanting to play games in Japanese to practice, and I. Yeah, so that was exciting. I think it was before you could get like face plates in America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, didn't didn't they not release the smaller new 3DS in the US for a while? Like you could only yeah. get the XL or something like that. There was a big delay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we should probably move on. We've been we've been <laughs> here for a while and we still have 
the biggest one of the biggest announcements yeah. to talk about splatoon 3 oh. yay that music that music is so good oh, it, it really gets you i so i was really excited because in the past this is just one thing that stuck out to me from the trailer uh in the past you would pick like boy or girl squid kid and then you would have some customization options from there uh but based on the trailer it looks like the options aren't tied to a gender choice you just get to pick your character's appearance and customize it the way you want yeah way of phrasing that which which is i i think a more recent trend a lot of games have been adopting just like pick your style pick your look kind of phrasing at the character creation screen and giving you a little bit more flexibility um in like what sorts of things you equip on which is not gender locked Mm -hmm. like like even like animal crossing like there's no gender locked clothing or anything like that so that was nice because I, I think that's a really positive trend. I think more games should adopt that kind of character creation. And um, it looks really cool. There's a lot like of really cute hairstyles. Yeah. And, you, you can um, play as, a, as an Octoling, which is something they added in the very underrated um, Octo expansion. In I never finished that. So good. That's the thing I'm the most excited about potentially is like, it, it's so vague. So like, I, you really have like, you can only speculate, but what they were showing, it looks like, there could be potential for a lot more like open world single player exploration. And that I think is some of the best stuff in Splatoon that's like highly underrated. Like the single players in those games are really, really good. Um, Even though like, you know, the multiplayer is kind of the main hook. So I'm very, very fascinated to see if like that's what they're kind of building on with like, I mean, the the city, which I think is called Splatsville in this one. Yes. uh, Is like, this, it looked massive in a way that um, like the, the the hub area and the other Splatoon games never quite were. Inkopolis. Inkopolis. And I'm, I'm so curious <laughs> to see like how they're building off of that. I'd love for you to like get to like wander around and explore the world as like an inkling mm-hmm. in, in a way that they never quite did with those other es- ones. Like especially because the world bl- building in Splatoon is so interesting. It's like the post-apocalypse and yeah. you kind of saw that at the beginning of the trailer too. Yeah. <laughs> so I I think it would be cool for them to expand on that. And before I forget, they also showed off a new kind of weapon, which is the bow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. You were talking about the world. Uh, the world exploration. I think one of the things that gets lost in Splatoon, uh, which we tend to think of more as a shooter because it's hot marketed, is that uh, Splatoon's kind of the secret sequel to Cubert. Like it's it's not a game about shooting; it's a game about area control. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. about literally changing ground to your color. It is Cubert too, and it happens to be a multiplayer and competitive. But that's that's almost secondary. It's a game about controlling space. So you're right. The first player campaigns are fantastic and the idea of building out it when you have a game that's already about exploring and controlling space if you could build those themes into a broader world exploration in a single player campaign i think that's kind of a natural fit that i really really hope they run with also another thought i had watching that trailer is i want like a mike bithel subsurface circular like spinoff that's just you riding that train full of fish people (laughs) <laughs> I want to play an adventure game where I'm talking to the fish that's riding on the train through the desert. 
I want to know what's going on there. I, I such a good setup. Spirit yeah. Away vibes I was getting from that Yeah. Shot. Exactly. That felt intentional. I feel like that had to be... Splatoon likes to do like weird referential stuff like that. They did like a Biggie and Tupac thing in, in the Octo expansion. <laughs> yeah, they Splatoon. did. Really? Yeah. yeah, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, if this game... I mean, I'm, I don't want to get my hopes up, but if this game could be like the Mario Odyssey of Splatoon games, like sign me up. Maybe I'm getting my hopes up too much for that, but I'm very excited for more Splatoon. Well, we should probably move on to listener questions. We're only going to do two. We'll do them pretty quickly. But if you've got any questions for us, you can email us at afterdarkpodcast at redventures.com because it turns out that works eventually. Afterdarkpodcast at GameSpot should work again. But like I said last week, we're still kind of in the process of transitioning things and aliases and whatnot. But if you don't want to email us, you can always join our Discord. And both questions today came from our Discord, the first of which is from Kevin from West Hartford, who used to send in a lot of questions, and I think he did, but he was doing them through email, so we kind of lost him. So it's been a while since we've gotten a Kevin from West Hartford question. Callie, do you want to read this one? Yes. Welcome back, Kevin. Hey, After Dark crew, is there a mechanic or system in a genre that instantly makes you like a game more? For example, in turn-based RPGs, I prefer when the two rival parties take turns mixed together based on a speed set rather than each party taking a turn as a team. Hmm. That's an interesting one. Now I got to like that specific example, but also an interesting question. I, I think um, I like management sim elements in any game like something that really enhanced three houses for me what fire emblem three houses was the ability to like set lesson plans and like basically tailor everyone to my exact specifications and to min max my time and like, like can i actually be a dragon rider you're like no no this is not absolutely what you're here for. not Absolutely not. <laughs> Unless you're Sylvain, in which case, sure. Um, and I guess to kind of an extension of that would be I also just really like um, having to make the most of my time, which is something that I've been enjoying in uh, Persona 5, even though it's extremely stressful because I uh, didn't know how what was coming. So I wasn't able to plan ahead as much, but um, I like those kinds of mechanics where I just get to exert some sort of weird control over something. I don't know if this is a mechanic necessarily, but I love it when a game takes away a lot of information that games give you. Like, here's your health bar. Here's where you are on this map. Mm. Here's, here's a compass that you'll probably never need, but we're going to give it to you anyway. I like it when you're more when you let loose to explore a little bit um i i think like like i always love just turning off huds in games and playing it that way like ghost recon breakpoint is a game that i returned to recently at launch wasn't very good but when you turn off all that extra info the game throws at you it's actually like a very intense cooperative tactical shooter which is so different than what it launched as it was like a weird destiny like gear chase game uh so so I, I guess that in particular is one to go with or red dead 2 for example you could turn off the hud and they even said characters would like tell you where to go if you turn off the hud that kind of worked sometimes other times it didn't but like i've played so much red dead 2 where i've gotten to the point where i don't need the hud and i know where i am and how to get around and part of that too is just good due to due to really good world design and and what are they weenies good weenie placement yeah. I, don't, I don't like that <laughs> i mean everybody loves a good weenie 
I mean, that's 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 <laughs> obvious. <true. laughs> Jake, have you ever played Bushido Blade? I haven't. No. Okay, that seems like a Jake game, a fight fighting game with no life bars. Like, mm, uh, all right, you got to play this game. Uh, you, you were at Square Enix back in the day, total classic. But yeah, no life bars, fighting game. You'll you'll love it. Ooh, all right, I'll check that out. For me, I think it's um, uh, directly gaining health for damaging enemies. Uh, the first game I ever encountered this in was was Golgo 13 back on the NES, and it pops up every every now and then. Bloodborne has a version of mm-hmm. it, for example. Never but heard of that you, game, huh? <laughs> I, I said I never heard of it because Tamor talks about it every week. Yeah, we probably <laughs> talk about it once a week. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but continue it, to talk about it. it is excellent. <laughs> well, it doesn't it doesn't show up very often, but it pops up every now and then. This kind of and I'm talking about a life drop, but like being directly rewarded for thoughtful aggression, uh, mm-hmm. being in danger of dying and realizing the only way to get out of it is to hurt enemies. Like, I love that because you can't just barrel in or, you, or you'll keel over. But at the same time, there's this, you know, when outnumbered, when overwhelmed attack, and it moves you to feel more heroic in the game because when it works, you're healed, enemies are down, you're awesome power fantasy played out and when it doesn't you've got that tension you're like oh, i went out but I, I went out swinging and again it's fun so i really love that mechanic and I, i'd like to see it more in games the the first thing that came to mind of me was the uh active reload and gears of war like i love the idea of just taking like what's like a very standard thing you do in like every shooter and and just like adding that little extra thing you need to like potentially think about um where like if you just hit the button just right and then it becomes this like muscle memory where you just like you know exactly when to hit it and it adds this extra um extra like incentive and like boost to like combat which you know like i i I like stuff like that i would also say like thinking about persona i i love I think that Persona 5 in particular is maybe my favorite turn-based combat because oh, I think they yeah, just had all these little tweaks because on the surface, it's like very standard turn-based combat, but just like, you know, like that thing of like you hit an enemy, you can do one more, you can baton pass. The change to the baton pass from like regular five to royal five. and having that be there like, and the way you can chain it. And they added this little boost where not only can you chain it, but in Royal, it'll actually like increase the damage and increases like you gain regain SP. And it just like incentivizes you to like think of, um, it's almost like a puzzle game where you're like, how mm-hmm. do I like, perf- what ex- uh, sequence of attacks do I need to do to chain a baton pass through my entire party so that my final character has this like super attack they can do at the very end. It's such a, a small change, but it completely alters the way you like think of of standard battles in that game. And I think it, it's such a great addition. I agree. Mm-hmm. Next question is from Aaron. If you had to join one evil video game faction cult or group, what would it be? Mine would be Team Yell from Pokemon Sword and Shield because all they seem to do is walk around holding <laughs> megaphones and racing Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this and I have nothing yet. So I got to think more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Cause uh, I don't you see, listen, listen, I'm going to level with all of you. The obvious answer for me, Callie Plaguey is team magma. So I think just based on everything that's happened in my life, in my career, in my world, I, ha- I am contractually obligated <laughs> to say team magma uh, because you know they want like they saw 
they saw the problems with Hoenn. They were like, it is God, you got to dive. Uh, oh my God. You got to, uh, the waterfalls. <laughs> you got to surf so much. You're never going to use a fire Pokemon again. And then they were like, we are eco-terrorists. However, we have, uh, we see the issues in this world and we know you Callie are correct. And, uh, <laughs> And they said, let's, let's do it. So I, <laughs> that's my choice. <laughs> uh, mine is whoever is trying to destroy Knack at that particular moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. I should have said something before that because I won't top that. <laughs> Both of those are really good answers. I don't have one. I'm like, because every every time I think of like an evil faction, I'm like, like oh the the one that's like Nazis. No, don't want to join that. Um, <laughs> most most video game bosses are just pretty nasty. There's Nazis. Yeah, yeah. I, I, A lot of them are just Nazis. Maybe, uh, may, maybe uh uh big bosses, diamond dogs. They're kind of evil. I don't know. Well, like in in, in when they're diamond dogs or not, but I guess they eventually become the evil faction. But they're fighting for a just cause in a better world. Uh, and they're fighting against the Patriots. So are they the bad guys? I don't know. Metal Gear is confusing. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm going to say that. Big Boss. Whatever Big Boss's side is. I'll just Metal Gear is confusing as a whole mood. Like, that's, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm not sure. I... I even opened up my my Steam account just to scroll through <laughs> these games and see if there's one that would be cool to be a part of. But Ooh. I feel like most of the games I'm into are like very serious and like like I wouldn't want to be any of the villains in The Witcher or anything like that. No, or Jake, I have the perfect answer for you. All right. Whenever you're on defense and siege, you want to be attack. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't like being defense and siege. <laughs> So half Jake, of siege is excellent. The other half is pretty boring. <laughs> so I, I'm going to answer for Jake and say, just attack the attack team. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good. Uh, that's probably a good answer. Maybe I'd want to be like one of the bad guys in Dark Souls. One of the ones that are like hiding behind a door that the player isn't going to see. <laughs> And then they just walk in and it's like big ax to the face and you're prepared for that. Now you're dead. Bye. What about patches? What about patches? Oh yeah. To help out patches. Your, your That'd be pretty stupid funny. profile picture of patches that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's been episode 81 of GameSpot After Dark. Thank you all so much for joining. And thank you, Jared, for taking the time to join us. That was a lot of fun. And thank you all out there for listening. Before we go, Callie, what are you up to and where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Inkydojiko, I-N-K-Y-D-O-J-I-K-K-O. And um, you know me, well, well, you know, this doesn't affect any of you at home, but I finally released the style guide I've been working on for games. <laughs> and I am stoked about it. It's internal only. I'm so sorry, but that was a big uh, when I say that I'm just working on behind the scenes stuff, that was a big behind the scenes, um, just kind of internal, uh, you know, editor kind of stuff that I was working on. So that was really exciting. And then it hadn't um, been refreshed in like since like 2008 or something, wasn't it? The the I yeah the old style guide was so old that the formatting broke Google Docs and it didn't 
like it just was unreadable. So <laughs> I basically, uh, with some help from some of the other editors, uh, we built it from the ground up. Um, so that was an exciting thing. So I've been doing a lot of that kind of thing, not as as many reviews, uh, not as as many forward facing facing things. But you know, festival is over. But if you want to go give that guide a view, it would mean a lot to me. That was my whole day on Monday. I could have taken the day off, and instead I collected feathers, and it took a lot of time. <laughs> um, and yeah, that you know, you know me, Jean Luc. How about you? Uh, you can find me at John Luke Seipke. I'm, I don't know what I'm working on. That I'm, I'm, I'm working in the background on some, some new stuff that's probably not going to happen for another week or so. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm, make, I'm making things. <laughs> My brain's a mess right now. I, I swear we're working. <laughs> I, I made, oh, I made like a, I did a Destiny comparison because they put the strike from the first game into the new one so i did like a video comparison that's what i did today i i forgot i don't it's my brain's a mess you should go check that out when it goes up uh you can find me at jacob deck and there should be an episode of dirty arty coming soon which we haven't done in a long time rob and i are giving it one final goodbye which should be fun so look out for that i don't know when that's gonna be but you should also check out Jared's Top 100 Games podcast. Jared, where can people find you and what are some things you'd like to plug? Yeah, uh, you can find me at Petty Comma Jared on Twitter. That's P-E-T-T-Y-C-O-M-M-A-J-A-R-E-D uh, where you can find leftist politics, video game stuff, and uh, occasionally me uh, uh, pontificating on how we all ought to be nice to each other. Uh, that, that's pretty much the three things you're going to find there. Um, if you want to listen to uh, the Top 100 Games podcast, and I think you should because it's fun, uh, you can find that on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts and Android, on Stitcher, on Spotify. It's all those places. Just search for Top 100 Games podcast or Top 100 Games podcast with Jared Petty. If you like listening to delightful people talk about games they love and just share some anecdotes about the pure joy and wonder of this art form and all the best things about it. It's a good place to go do that. So I really hope you will uh, just, just go take a look at that. And that's what I'm up to. So, and uh, again, genuinely and just, just thoroughly thrilled to get to be a part of this y'all. I like the show. I like what you do here. I like the work you do in the podcast and outside and it's good to know all of you. It's really great to meet John Luke. Thank you all for having me. Thank you for Thank joining you. us. It was Thank an absolute you. pleasure. Mm -hmm. Had a lot of fun. All right. Well, with that, we will see you all next week. <laughs>